Hello and welcome to the Candy Apple Press podcast, The Feminine Boudoir. I am Kylie Gable, publisher and writer at Candy Apple Press, and today we have not one, but two audios. Okay, you get to hear a story here. Way back when I was a junior in high school, we had one of those reading books that had a bunch of stories in it that weren't particularly good. But one caught my eye, and it was by D.H. Lawrence. It was written in 1918, and it was called Tickets, Please. You can find this free online. It's all over the place. It wasn't quite porn, and it was totally fetish. It was about a manager at a trolley company, and he was playing around with several of his employees, and they all ganged up on him and just beat the crap out of him. And, you know, this was at a Catholic high school. And nowhere did we talk about any kind of sexual element to it. I later learned D.H. Lawrence, that was pretty much, he was a very kinky man and it was all deliberate, the sexual content. So I went through high school, kind of focused on that story, thinking, oh, this is interesting. Now later, when I had my own feminization experience and got to experience what being a sub was like, all those sorts of things, um, it kind of, that story, I still remembered it, but I, I, I thought of it in a different way. This year... I wrote a book called Boarding Passes, where I took the D.H. Lawrence story and I tried to update it and make it a modern story about an airline. And um, we have a wonderful excerpt from that. Um, It's read by Miss Jen Davis. She is like the queen of spankos. She knows how to torture a bottom. Uh, She is the spanking queen, and she also has a delightful voice She's a wonderful dom and a caring dom. And I can't tell you enough how important that is with doms. So she is up first. And I'm going to give you my little um, pitch to start your own podcast in a second. And then when we get back, you'll hear Miss Jen Davis reading Boarding Pass, or at least a snippet from Boarding Pass, which was just released this year. If you check out the links below, you will see where you can get a copy of the entire 48-minute audio. I'll be back after this. Oh, how can I take one? He asks, laughing uneasily. I don't want to make enemies. You'd only make one, said Annie. The chosen one, added Laura. Ouch. Okay. Good burn, replied J.T., again turning, as if to escape. Well, good night. No, you've got to make your pick, said Muriel. Turn your face to the wall and say which one touches you. Go on. We shall only just touch your back, one of us. Go on. Turn your face to the wall and don't look and say which one touches you. He was uneasy, mistrusting them yet he had not the courage to break away. They pushed him to a wall and stood him there with his face to it. 
Behind his back, they all grimaced, tittering. He looked so comical. He looked around uneasily. Go on, he cried. You're looking, you're looking, they shouted. He turned his head away, and suddenly, with a movement like a swift cat, Annie went forward and threw a punch that had him in the side of the head that sent his cap flying and himself staggering. He started round. But at Annie's signal, they all flew at him, grabbing him, wrestling him, and pulling him to the ground, the more in fun than in spite or in anger. He, however, saw red. His blue eyes flamed with strange fear as well as fury as he butted through the girls to the door. It was locked. He wrenched at it. Now alert, the girls stood round and looked at him. He faced them at bay. At that moment, they were rather horrifying to him as they stood in their short, sexy uniforms. He was distinctly afraid. Come on, JT, come on, choose, said Annie. I don't want to play. Open the door, he demanded. We won't. Not till you've chosen, said Muriel. Chosen what, he said. Chosen the one you're going to marry, she replied sarcastically. He hesitated a moment. Open the damn door, he said, and get back to your senses. He spoke with official authority. You've got to choose, cried the girls. Come on, cried Annie, looking him in the eye. Come on, come on. He went forward rather vaguely. She had taken off her belt and flicking it at him like a whip let a small red welt on his forehead. He sprang and seized her. But immediately the other girls rushed upon him, pulling and tearing and beating him. Their blood was now thoroughly up. He was their sport now. They were going to get back for countless slights and put-downs from cocky pilots. And this flyboy was the worst of all. Strange, wild creatures, they hung on him and rushed at him to bear him down. His shirt was torn right up the back. Nora had hold at the back of his collar and was actually strangling him. Luckily, the button burst. He struggled in a wild frenzy of fury and terror, almost mad terror. His shirt was simply torn off his back. His shirt sleeves were torn away, and his arms were naked. The girls rushed at him, clenched their hands on him and pulled at him, or they rushed at him and pushed him, butted him with all their might, or they struck him wild blows. He ducked and cringed and struck sideways. They became more intense. At last he was down. They rushed on him, kneeling on him. He had neither breath nor strength to move. His face was bleeding with a long scratch. His brow was bruised. Annie knelt on him. The other girls knelt and hung on to him. Their faces were flushed, their hair wild. Their eyes were all glittering strangely. He lay, at last quite still, with face averted, as an animal lies when it is defeated and at the mercy of the captor. Sometimes his eye glanced back at the wild faces of the girls. His breast rose heavily, his wrists were torn. 
Now then, J.T., gasped Annie at length. Now then. Now. At the sound of her terrifying, cold triumph, he suddenly started to struggle as an animal might, but the girls threw themselves upon him, with unnatural strength and power, forcing him down. Yes, now then, gasped Annie at length, taking her belt, and with the help of the other woman, strapping J.T.'s arms to his side. And there was a dead silence, in which the thud of heart-beating was to be heard. It was a suspense of pure silence in every soul. Now I would hope you realize your situation, said Annie. The sight of his white, bare arm maddened the girls. He lay in a kind of trance of fear and antagonism. They felt themselves filled with supernatural strength. Suddenly Beth started to laugh to giggle wildly, helplessly, and Emma and Muriel joined in. But Annie and Nora and Laura remained the same, tense, watchful, with gleaming eyes. He vinced away from these eyes. Yes, said Annie, in a curious, low tone, secret and deadly. Yes, you've got it now. You know what you've done, don't you? He made neither sound nor sign, but lay with bright, averted eyes and averted, bleeding face. You ought to be castrated. That's what we should do, said Annie tensely. You ought to be castrated. And there was a terrifying lust in her voice. Beth was ceasing to laugh and giving long-drawn ohs and sighs as she came to herself. He's got to choose, she said vaguely. Oh, yes, he has, said Laura, with vindictive decision. Do you hear? Do you hear, said Annie, and with a sharp movement that made him vince, she turned his face to her. Do you hear, she repeated shaking him. But he was quite dumb. She fetched him a sharp slap on the face. He started, and his eyes widened. Then his face darkened with defiance, after all. Do you hear? she repeated. He only looked at her with hostile eyes. Speak, she said, putting her face devilishly near his. What? he said, almost overcome. You've got to choose, she cried, as if it were some terrible menace, and as if it hurt her that she could not exact more. What? he said in fear. Choose your girl, Top Gun. You've got to choose her now, and I'll swear your balls for earrings if you play any more of your tricks. No more stalling. There was a pause. Again, he averted his face. He tried to be cunning. He wasn't going to give in to them. This twisted game of theirs was just sick. They all knew what he had in mind when they slept with him. There was never any expectation of more than a good fuck. All right, then, he said. I choose Annie. His voice was strange and full of madness. Annie let go of him as if he had been a hot coal. He's chosen Annie, said the girls in chorus. 
Me, cried Annie. She was still kneeling, but away from him. He was still lying prostrate, with averted face. The girls grouped uneasily around. Me, repeated Annie, with a terrible, bitter accent. Then she got up, drawing away from him, with strange disgust and bitterness. I wouldn't touch him, she said. But her face quivered with a kind of agony. She seemed as if she would fall. The other girls turned aside. He remained lying on the floor, with his torn clothes and bleeding, averted face. Oh, if he's chosen, said Beth. I don't want him. He can choose again, said Annie, with the same rather bitter hopelessness. Get up, said Beth, lifting his shoulders. Get up. She pulled him up slowly, a strange, ragged, dazed creature. The girls eyed him from a distance, curiously, furtively, dangerously. Who wants him? cried Laura roughly. Nobody, they answered with contempt. Yet each of them waited for him to look at her, hoped he would look at her, all except Annie, and something was broken in her. He, however, kept his face closed and averted from them all. There was a silence of the end. He picked up the torn pieces of his shirt without knowing what to do with them. The girls stood about uneasily, flushed, panting, tidying their hair and their dress unconsciously and watching him. He looked at none of them. He spied his cap in a corner and went and picked it up. He put it on his head, and one of the girls burst into a shrill, hysteric laugh at the sight he presented. He paid her no heed, but he went straight to where his navy blue blazer hung on a peg. The girls moved away from contact with him, as if he'd been an electric wire. He put on his coat and buttoned it down. Then he rolled his tunic rags into a bundle and stood before the locked door, dumbly. Open the door, somebody, pleaded J.T. What's your hurry, said Mia. Annie silently pulled out the key and held it out to J.T. He walked over to take it from her, at which point she tossed the key to Laura. No sooner had he turned to Laura than it was in Beth's delicate hands. J.T. felt like a schoolboy being bullied on the playground. He was in the center of game of keep-away, and he didn't like it one bit. Just give me the damn key so I can get out of here, barked J.T. Leave, asked Muriel. You're all filthy from rolling around on the floor, and you don't even have a proper shirt anymore. Why not go use a shower? I don't want a shower, and I want to leave, demanded J.T., the girls all laughed at J.T., trying to sound important and official. Nobody in that lounge would ever see him as any sort of leader, ever again. Instead, the girls advanced on him, leading him away from the lounge's door and toward the small showers in the back. There was only one shower in the lounge, and it was generally reserved for unlucky pilots and flight attendants who might have flights too close together to get home and shower. Let's get you cleaned up first, said Annie. The girls ripped off J.T.'s pants and pushed the frightened pilot into the shower stall. When J.T. saw the hair removal cream, 
and the girls beginning to put on gloves, he let out a little gasp that made the girls giggle. Who would have thought that the mighty top gun would be brought under a woman's thumb so quickly and easily? So then, J.T., said Laura, let's get rid of some of that nasty hair. J.T. shook his head vigorously, but he knew that there was nothing he could do to resist all these women. They advanced on him and started to rub the nair over his legs. They lathered it generously onto him, making sure not to miss any spots. And then she pulled down his fancy black underwear. We don't want a furry bikini lie now, do we? said Annie. Laura whistled to herself as she plied the nair to his pubic hair, then reached around and put some around his crack. The nair was starting to run low, but she was determined to get the most out of it. She rubbed it over his chest and under his armpits. Soon you're going to be a beautiful, smooth, girly girl, said Beth, and J.T. mumbled something inaudible. After the nair was rinsed off of J.T.'s body, along with all his body hair, Muriel patted him dry with a soft green towel. J.T. stared sullenly at the drain and watched his manhood swirl down the drain. "'Now sit down on the toilet,' commanded Nora. "'I was told to give you sexy, bright red nails.' J.T. complied. He sat in the toilet, making absolutely no fuss when Nora demanded his hand, and began her work. By the time she was done, she had painted both his fingers and toes bright red.' She used acrylics to make his nails look longer, and J.T. could not believe how feminine they made his hand look. You're such a little bitch, and I'm just happy that I was able to do my part to help make you look that way, said Nora. Now I think Emma's in charge of your makeup. This has gone on quite far enough, protested J.T. Let me go now, and I will forget this whole incident. J.T. never saw it coming, but he certainly felt it. Annie had slapped him hard on his right cheek, and then even more viciously on his left one. Tears welled up in his eyes, and he nearly fell off the toilet. He was as stunned as if he, as he was hurt. Annie got only a few inches from his face and told him harshly, You won't forget tonight. I can promise you that. Completely cowed, J.T. sat passively while Emma began to do her work. You know, you really do have a pretty feminine face already. I can tell you're going to look hot because you've got a lot more feminine features than masculine ones, said Emma. This is ridiculous, replied J.T. He started to get up, but the women pushed him back down. Emma began applying his makeup with a layer of liquid foundation and then a light layer of powder as well. She contoured his face and blended what she had done. J.T. began to see a feminine face emerge, and it frightened him. Mia get, began to work on his eyes, applying a colorful fading eyeshadow that began with hot pink and blended into a sparkling white near his nose. She applied a little wing of liner at the outer edges of his eyes and then took a pair of long, thick, fake eyelashes and glued them over his own.
Moving down to his lips, she lined them with a red pencil before using a deep pink gloss to fill his lips in and leave them shining. Ta-da, said Katie, breaking the spell that Chaty had fallen under, seeing his transformation. I like it. Nothing like all that pink to say bimbo, said Annie. J.T. knew something was up when Annie and Laura tightened their grip on him. They were joined by Mia and Emma. He put up with so much already, he could only wonder what they thought he'd fight against at this point. Just hold still. It'll be over soon enough, said Beth, holding electric razor. Muriel came up behind him and snaked her arm around his neck adding a chokehold to the myriad holds that had rendered J.T. immobile. Soon Beth was running the razor over his scalp. J.T. was furious. You fucking bitches, he exclaimed. But they laughed at his outburst. It didn't take Beth long to remove all of the hair from J.T.'s head. Annie made sure to take a picture with her phone of his hairless head and made-up face. You know you can get surgical glue on the internet for a surprisingly low price. Four ounces for eleven thirty. You can't beat that, said Annie, as she brushed the top of his head with some glue from a small metallic can. It had a chemical smell to it, and it was cold on his scalp. Quickly she placed a honey blonde wig on his head and pressed it into place. The wig was shaped into a chin-length, asymmetrical bob. It wasn't exactly a glamorous look, but it certainly helped make his face more girlish. J.T. tugged at the wig, but it wouldn't come off. He was sure there was some kind of solvent, but he had no idea what that was, and he wasn't in a position to look it up. Can I please get my clothes on and go? I won't tell anybody, I promise, swore J.T., your clothes are torn to shreds, said Laura. We have something better for you, said Nora, as she brought a blue garment bag into the cramped bathroom. You can fight this or cooperate, said Annie. I'm kind of hoping you'll fight it. J.T. struggled, but he didn't try and throw a punch or push his way through the girls. He didn't want to get into any more trouble than he was already in, and he was tired of being naked. The women dressed him in a modified stewardess outfit that was a little sexier than regulation. Sure, they dressed him in the tight white blouse and short navy skirt, the required pantyhose, and the colorful scarf. But the four-inch heels they made him step into were definitely not regulation, nor were the tiny silver locks they clicked into place to lock them onto his feet. The matching powder blue push-up bra and panties were also more Victoria's secret than friendly skies. As Annie applied more of that surgical glue to a pair of breast forms and shoved them into J.T.'s flimsy bra, he renewed his struggles and the others had to redouble their efforts. However, once the glue set, it seemed as if all the fight had been taken out of him, even as hot glue was applied to his zipper and buttons to make sure that his clothes wouldn't be coming off any time soon. Annie made sure to get several pictures of J.T. before the entire group posed for some pictures together with their feminized victim. 
"'What a pretty stewardess you make!' mocked Muriel. "'Are you finally done?' asked J.T. softly. "'I just want to go.' "'Sure,' said Annie. "'Let me just unlock the door for you.' Annie unlocked the door for J.T., and in a grand, dramatic, sweeping bow, gestured for him to leave. J.T. looked back at his hat, sighed, and shook his head. He walked out the door and right into Gretchen Stuckey, standing in front of an airport luggage cart. Hi, J.T., she said. Oh, no, groaned the pilot. He'd gotten a bit too drunk at an airport bar. I love Jen's reading on that, although I can clearly see a couple of mistakes that I made that I didn't pick up when I first wrote it, and or when it was edited, for that matter. There are a couple of last names that stayed in there. That was a convention that D.H. Lawrence did when he wrote the original story, and I kind of kept it, but on editing, it just seemed kind of weird. So I tried to get rid of all the last names, but I see I didn't get rid of all of them. Up next, we have a very short story, less than five minutes, from Mistress DJ, who, speaking of carrying doms, this woman is amazing in so many ways, uh, has been a huge help to me this year, again, in so many ways, and um, she did a reading of a story that Claudia wrote based on Tickets, Please. So... Again, it's another Tickets, Please story. Claudia's is very short, and it has absolutely no feminization in it, but it's a great female domination story, um, which was inspired by some real-life things, but not quite real life. Um, she did have a summer job at an ice cream place. She did have a bad boss. She did have to take him down a peg or two, but, you know. So there is a lot of real-life inspiration here, and I think it shows. So the next little snippet will be uh, Claudia's um, version of Tickets, Please, called Scoopers, as read by Mistress DJ. Claudia's Erotic Tales by Kylie Gable and Claudia Costa. Claudia's Erotic Tales are published by Candy Apple Press. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. For mature audiences only, all characters are above the legal age. Scoopers Ray was the worst boss that I ever had. He was just my supervisor at a stupid summer job that barely paid minimum wage. He was 20 years old, and that made him two years older than myself and most of the five other girls who worked at Scoopers, a small family-owned ice cream parlor. The whole reason he became supervisor was because he was older and male. The owners were never around and assumed that he was doing a good job. What he was doing was harassing and assaulting the rest of us. Near the end of summer, we were all ready to quit when he actually grabbed Gina's ass while she was making a banana split for a customer. She was mortified and dropped the ice cream right on the floor. As angry as Gina was, her friend Mia was even angrier. I wish he'd try that with me, she said. I'd kick his ass. 
You couldn't even hurt him, said Gina. Maybe Claudia could, but that's about it. Leave me out of it, I said. This is my last week working at this dump. But you've got to, said Mia. He's been out of line all summer, and you know it. We can't let him get away with it. I can't just walk up to him and hit him, I said. Gina and I will take care of everything, promised Mia. Sure enough, the next night, Mia had gotten Raid bragging about his fighting prowess again. He'd taken some MMA classes a few years back and quit before he actually got good at it. Oh, yeah, said Ray. I could take down a mugger in a three seconds. Really? Could you show us? asked Gina. Here? How could I show you? I'll be a mugger, said Mia. No, he's right, said Gina. You wouldn't be any match. Claudia's his size, though. Would you mind showing us with Claudia? I don't want to hurt anybody, said Ray. Three seconds won't hurt me, I promise, I said. What do you want me to do? As he began explaining to me how I was supposed to approach him in an artificial way that no mugger ever would, I noticed Gina putting the clothes sign in the window while Mia locked the door. I had to give it to these girls. It didn't take long for them to maneuver him into exactly the position they wanted. I came at him just like he instructed, but when he clumsily grabbed for my wrist, I twisted away and flipped him to the ground when he lunged for me. You're doing it wrong, Claudia, mocked Gina. You were supposed to be the one who fell down. I didn't know you were going to do that. If I had known, I would have defended myself, complained Ray. I wish you had told me, because you could have gotten hurt. I'm sorry. I should have known better, I said, offering my hand. When he reached to take it, I wrenched it way up his back, twisting his arm up behind him, and marched him over to the counter where Gina and Mia were waiting. The brass rail on the top of the counter was perfect for securing him with a pair of old aprons. I grabbed a towel and shoved it in his mouth. I secured it in place to make sure we wouldn't be disturbed. He was bent over the counter in the perfect position, and I couldn't resist watching him yelp as I gave him a couple of swats on his tender behind. Gina had other ideas. I looked over as soon as I was done and saw she was sporting a purple strap-on dildo. You've been a miserable boss, and you refuse to take no for an answer. Now it's my turn. He just groaned into the towel. We had quite a fun night that evening, particularly Gina, who got her revenge for an entire summer of sexual harassment. We made sure to get pictures of the whole thing, in case he thought of complaining. As we locked the door behind us, we exchanged hugs, thankful for our shared experience. But I never went back to Scoopers again, even as a customer. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed both of those audios. Uh, originally, I had planned to play the second part of Diane Calloway's reading of her own story, uh, feminized by his fiance. The problem is, um, what she has is a 42-minute clip, and it's actually a video. And the problem is, it's awesome, but it's very hard to deal with such a large file. Uh, I asked her if she could maybe give me a smaller file so that I could break it up into snippets for this show, and she promised me July 10th she'll have new equipment and be able to do it. So, in the meantime, I'm playing some of our other stuff. We have a whole lot of uh, new audios coming. Uh, I have put out an open call for mistresses, doms, actresses, you name it. And I've had a lot of people excited about um, reading my stories, but um, your help would be greatly appreciated. 
be sure to look for Candy Apple Press books on Amazon if you enjoy this sort of audio. I also have several audiobooks for sale on Audible. And you can find the Candy Apple Clip Store on I Want Clips and coming soon to Clips for Sale. Have a wonderful week and a happy Canada Day, a wonderful 4th of July. And if any nation nation celebrates uh, any other day this week, more power to you. So have a wonderful week and I'll be back next Monday with new audio.